Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Today on the Indo Daily, David Cameron is back as Suella Breverman gets the sack. Obviously, this reshuffle we were told just moments ago has started within Downing Street. Confirmation that Suella Breverman, the Home Secretary, has been officially sacked by Number 10. So, just in, David Cameron, as we expected, has been confirmed as Foreign Secretary. The stoic British saying, keep calm and carry on, has been replaced once again by chaos at number 10 Downing Street. I think I've been pretty clear that these are hate marches. After picking fights with Palestinian protesters, the police and the homeless, outspoken Home Secretary Suella Braverman has been sacked. I think chanting of jihad on the streets of Britain in the 21st century is utterly despicable. It's sickening. In the door comes former British Prime Minister David Cameron, who fell on his sword after the Brexit referendum. It's absolutely insane. People could not believe what they were seeing. David Cameron walking up Downing Street and heading on into number 10 and everyone was saying, what's he doing here? He's not even a member of Parliament. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Enda Brady, TRT World presenter, to discuss what all this means for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and boldly predict who will be in the job in a year's time. And uh, a dramatic start to the week, to say the least. Suella Breverman, the rather outspoken Home Secretary, fired. Why? So she wrote a new paper article last week in the Times in London that was not cleared by Downing Street in full and she made some pretty strange claims in it all about these protest rallies we're seeing every Saturday backing the Palestinian people. These are tens of thousands of people turning up calling for a ceasefire for humanitarian aid and she has referred to them as hate marches and then she made it clear in the article that she feels that the Metropolitan Police are biased in favour of people on these marches as opposed to any other marches. I think chanting of jihad on the streets of Britain in the 21st century is utterly despicable and I don't see how any decent person or, or how the vast majority of the British people uh, can find that to be acceptable behaviour. It was incendiary stuff, really, and the fact that the article ended up published without the Prime Minister's consent, and then at the weekend, you know, we saw what happened off the back of her article, an awful lot of right-wing thugs, for want of a better phrase. Uh, some of the news outlets were calling them counter-protesters. Let's just call it what they were. They were men in their 40s and 50s. 
all white, all English and all looking to cause trouble. They descended on London to protect the cenotaph. You couldn't make this up. And, you know, words have consequences. And Suella Braverman's article led to nine police officers being injured, 126 arrests, which were all predominantly right-wing protesters. So that's where we're at. That's why she's gone. Are we surprised that she's gone? No, not at all. I think had she stayed any longer, you would be questioning the Prime Minister's strength, you know, as a leader of the party, as a leader of the country. So Sunak, for what little muscle he does have left, he had to get rid of her. It was either him or her, you know, he would look incredibly weak in the eyes of the party. So he's made his decision, but I think, you know, a lot of this is going to come back to bite him. The protests about the war in Gaza are not the only kind of erratic comments, shall we say, that she's made in recent times. What what she say about homeless people? So she said that homelessness is a lifestyle choice. That was the phrase she used the other day. And I mean, you know, I've been working in London three decades and I occasionally stop and talk to homeless people or they come up to you and you have a chat and nobody is homeless as a lifestyle choice. People are homeless because of issues, because of addiction, because of relationship breakdowns, because of financial implosion. You know, it's often said that you're only ever one or two paychecks away from being homeless yourself. That's the, that's what you hear from financial experts. Nobody in London or anywhere in the UK, in any town or city, I believe, wakes up and thinks, great lifestyle choice. I'm going to go live in a tent or a, a cardboard box on the side of the street. So she was kind of, you know, speaking to the extreme right wing of the Conservative Party who have an issue with homeless people, who have an issue with migrants, who have an issue with all of the causes that she seeks to champion. And this is what she was doing. She was preaching to, you know, the the really the 1% Uber Tories, if you like. Yeah, her name was familiar to us on this island because of her interpretation of rules and regulations around Northern Ireland in the post-Brexit world. Can you give us a recap on that? We are live in Dublin tonight, but I suppose it feels like we're broadcasting from a parallel universe on a day when a UK Home Secretary doesn't appear to know the difference between unionists and nationalists in Northern Ireland. That's the obvious conclusion to draw from the comments in which she described those demonstrating in support of Palestine this weekend as hate marchers of the type we're more used to seeing in Northern Ireland, quote unquote. It is Protestants, unionists, loyalists, natural allies of the Tories who are responsible for 95% of marches in Northern Ireland. So to describe this as an own goal would be an understatement. She has been very outspoken and I don't think she's any great fan of Ireland at all. But she said what she said and her feeling was that, you know, that they could pretty much sacrifice Ireland, that, you know, the Irish would roll over and do as they're told. Um, She misjudged the situation completely. I mean, for a woman who has a law degree and is a qualified lawyer, not particularly bright at reading the room, should we say. Yeah, she rose quite rapidly. She's she's now gone off the edge. Is this the last we'll see of her or does she join a rump now on the right uh, of the Tory party waiting for or plotting to, to, to bring about Rishi Sunak's downfall? Yeah, look, I would say what you're seeing is day one of her leadership campaign. And she will be able to say to the party faithful that, you know, I didn't agree with those marches. I didn't agree with homelessness. I didn't agree with the migrants coming in the small boats. Unprecedented and uncontrolled illegal migration.
Organisation is placing uh, unacceptable strains and pressures on communities all around our country. Whether it's the criminality, which is very closely linked to many people coming here illegally. We see uh, that there are many people coming here illegally who are then getting involved in drugs, who are getting involved in violent crime, who are getting involved in prostitution. All of that is at odds with British values. All of that is unacceptable behaviour. We need to deter people from making the journey in the first place. I stood up for you and now I want to be your leader. So I think she's taken a long-term strategy here. Someone actually said to me last week, Finon, she's trying to get herself sacked. That's what I was told a week ago. Um, and I, I, I believe it. I think that this was a strategy and a game plan. And she's now, like the rest of them, looking at a Conservative Party in opposition post-Sunak. He will be gone as soon as they lose the election. And the latest poll has Labour on 45.2% and the Conservatives on 25%. So that's 20.2%. I mean, even if they manage to halve that in the next 12 months between now and election, presumably October next year for the election, by the way. You know, Keir Starmer is still Prime Minister coming in with a, with a huge mandate. Um, and if that poll were replicated, he would actually have a bigger majority than Tony Blair had in May 97. Uh, and that is the stuff of conservative nightmares. Braverman's background, does that shape her outlook on the world? Or, or has she basically been influenced by political opportunism within the Tory party? I think it's the latter. I mean, she's a middle-class Asian woman, Oxford educated, academically extremely bright. But for whatever reason, she has gone down this Warren hole of right-wing conservative politics. I just wanted to pick up on the anecdote you just gave, uh, a very eloquent anecdote about your father, um, that he had no friends, no money, no passport. He wanted a better life. Do you accept that that is the story replicated throughout this migration journey. What you're suggesting is because I'm the child of immigrants, I have to adopt a position which is pro-migration. I think that is totally at odds with the challenge, the precedented levels of people coming to our country illegally with no right to be there, gaming our system, uh, pretending to be refugee, prevent, pretending to be uh, fleeing persecution to come to the country illegitimately. And if you speak to people on the street right now, you know, people are struggling to pay bills. Gas, energy, food, petrol, mortgages. I mean, an awful lot of people, month on month, the mortgage bill has gone through the roof off the back of six weeks of Liz Truss's economic plan, in inverted commas. So when you speak to people on the street, that's what they care about. The average person is not that bothered about who's policing which protest or are the police favouring one side or the other in London. You know, Britain is not London. And that's what an awful lot of these conservative politicians are, are really kind of, that's, that's where they're losing votes, that they think everything revolves around London. There's still 58 million people who don't live in London. She was also seemed to be aligning herself quite firmly on a hardline stance against migrants, deporting people who were seeking asylum to, to Rwanda as some sort of, of, of safe uh, haven. What, was it gaining traction for her? 
Yes, yeah, so this was a big plan of hers, you know, the whole Rwanda deportations and, and making it so unattractive here that people coming ashore in small boats would be scared to even set foot in Britain in the first place. Well, the system is rigged against the British people. It's as simple as that. That's why we are rolling out a groundbreaking partnership with Rwanda, which we believe is lawful. With a, with a country that we believe is safe. So we need to change the system. We need to change our laws. That's how we're going to stop the boats. Look, various different wacky schemes. The boats have not stopped coming. Okay, the numbers are slightly down on last year, but tens of thousands of people have got across the channel. So that's been a failure as well. And this was one of the five kind of pillars that Sunak said he wanted the UK public to judge him on. And look, judgment day is coming. Uh, make no mistake about it. I think there will be a Labour government next year. Now, Christmas is coming, so we'll all be watching Love Actually. Uh, Hugh Grant bouncing <laughs> in the door of number 10. And there was a, another sprightly former British Prime Minister arriving back into number 10 this morning. Dave Cameron, where did he come out of? The Right Honourable David Cameron, Secretary of State for Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Affairs. The former Prime Minister has been brought back into government by an alien Rishi Sunak as his Foreign Secretary. Honest to God, this is just like, it's like Bobby Ewing in the shower in Dallas, if anyone remembers that in the 80s. It is, it's absolutely insane. I mean, look. They should start looking at the Conservative Party having the Benny Hill tune as their national anthem every day. Um, people could not believe what they were seeing. David Cameron walking up Downing Street and heading on into number 10 and everyone was saying, what's he doing here? And lo and behold, he's the new Foreign Secretary. He's not even a member of Parliament. So they've had to whistle up a, a seat in the Lords for him, as he is entitled to as an ex-Prime Minister. Um, and, and I think, you know, if I, if I were a Conservative MP right now, I'd be looking at Sunak and thinking, my God, he must not rate any of us that he's reached out to a guy who's done nothing in seven years politically. Yeah, so what has he been up to for the last seven years, dare we ask? Making money, making yeah. money. So he's been lobbying um, an ill-fated venture with a company called Greensill Capital. He made millions out of that reportedly. He's also been lobbying allegedly on behalf of China in Sri Lanka uh, with a port city development there. You know, he's an extremely wealthy guy. He is a very pleasant man. He is a far more human person to be around than Boris I've been around his house many, many times for interviews. He is good company. He's charismatic. He's intelligent. The last time I saw him, he was uh, fixing a ping pong table. I kid you not. I turned up and he was in shorts and a T-shirt and he had a screwdriver out fixing a table tennis table for his children. He, he's a family man. But I think, you know, rural life, big house and not a lot going on. I think he just something to get his teeth into. He's still young, he's in his 50s. And I think Cameron himself probably thinks that he's got one more act left. He had a very good relationship with Ireland in the early stages uh, of, of his, his premiership. Then he became the man who allowed Brexit to happen uh, on, on his watch. What's his legacy in the UK? Well, I think, look, he's political toast as far as Brexit. Brexit has been an absolute catastrophe. You can't write you can't write anything about him without the first paragraph being the Brexit referendum uh, of 2016, which has just been calamitous for Britain. But I know he has a lot of time for Ireland. He was particularly close to Enda Kenny, 
Uh, that is a friendship that endures. Cameron often told me how much respect he had for Enda Kenny. Um, but it's a shame for him that he misjudged the country, he misjudged the mood, and ultimately the people in his own party, he misjudged them as well. Yeah, ultimately he, he gave in to the right wing of the party in order to protect himself, didn't see that Brexit was actually going to happen. So th- th- it was a massive misjudgment on his part. Yeah, look, he's a very metropolitan guy, even though he lives in Oxfordshire. He's, he's very much a city boy. And I think the problem was he didn't spend enough time in rural communities to had genuine concerns about migration and young people in those areas not being able to buy houses. I think Cameron thought, because everyone in London wanted to stay in the European Union, Cameron felt that this would be fine. And of course, infamously, it wasn't. The British people have voted to leave the European Union and their will must be respected. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months, but I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. Now, the man who has brought him back in, Rishi Sunak, what's the gamble here? Look, I think Sunak is trying to get the big beasts back in, get the band back together again and show people that they can be a serious party and a serious government. Um, look, the opinion polls don't lie. 20 percentage points. He is not going to make that up by bringing David Cameron in. But it's it's desperate stuff. Sunak knows he's in a fix and this is fairly desperate stuff. That relationship between Cameron and Sunak, it, it has been strained in the past, particularly over, over Sunak's U-turn on HS2. Is that is that all water under the bridge now? Will they just get on with it? Look, I would say they've moved on very quickly from that. And I would say Sunak has just said to him, look, you know, you're coming back in. Yeah, it's a big gig, but I'm still prime minister and you're not. Those are the terms. Do you accept it? And I think Cameron's looked around his big house in Oxfordshire and thought, you know what? I want to go do something every day. This has been described as a as a blue wall reshuffle rather than a red wall reshuffle. What does that mean? So it's all about the north of England, really, and all those Labour seats last time around in December 2019 under Boris Johnson um, that turned Conservative. So I think what they're trying to do, really, is just get those people to keep voting Conservative. But like again, go back to the polls this week, Finan. It's gone. It's over. And I think the smart people are jumping out of the Conservative Party in their droves, trying to get TV shows, trying to get newspaper columns and trying to get consultancies for when they're no longer elected representatives. Yeah. So Keir Starmer, at the same time, is having his own difficulties amongst his own base as a result of the Labour Party leadership stance on the on the the Israeli war in the Gaza Strip, how is he faring at the moment, and and is it likely to cause him any long term repercussions? Look, I think he's so far ahead in the polls, it won't cost him at the election next year. But in the short term, yes, it has damaged him a bit in the eyes of Labour supporters because he has not called for an immediate ceasefire. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of Labour, a lot of people felt that there was a a very, let's say, anti-Semitic hue to the Labour Party. And I think Starmer has been so determined to move away from the Corbyn years that that is why he has rode in behind the government on what's going on between Israel and, and Hamas and Gaza right now. While I understand calls for a ceasefire at this stage, I do not believe that it is the correct position now 
that would leave Hamas with the infrastructure and the capability to carry out the sort of attack we saw on October the 7th. But as far as you're concerned, this time next year, it'll be Prime Minister Starmer going in the door of number 10. I, I, do you know what? I will play a hurling match in Wexford naked if Keir Starmer is not Prime Minister next Christmas. And my thanks to Enda Brady, and we'll hold him to that prediction. I'm Fionan Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carr, researched by Dave Hanrity and Dara Nolan, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from Sky News, The Guardian, BBC News, The Story Picture Agency, UK Independent and The Irish Independent. If you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eurokti Yen of Chacht Erachor. Agasuligum a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.